0: Well, good morning again. If you would, go ahead and open your Bibles to Proverbs chapter 5. We're going to continue in our series through, through Proverbs. As you are turning to Proverbs chapter 5, I want to state from the very beginning that today's text is a difficult text. It is uh, a difficult text for, for me to preach It will be a difficult text for for many of you to to hear, Um, but I can't think of a more relevant text, I can't think of a more relevant topic than the one that we have before us today on the topic of sexual sin. And let's be clear, this one sermon will not uh, exhaust this topic, no one sermon could ever exhaust this topic, nor is that the aim of, of this sermon neither will I be focused in this sermon on the world out there as it pertains to sexual sin within our culture. And the reason for that being because we need not look any further than these walls to see, to feel, and to know the devastating effects of, of sexual sin uh, upon our, our culture within uh, in these walls. So my aim today is, is for this sermon to not open up old wounds, though it may. It is not that this sermon would be condemning. We do not want to point fingers or to label anyone with a scarlet letter upon their chest. But rather the, the reason for Proverbs, the reason for this sermon is to, to warn, to guide and to direct every one of us toward the path that leads to life, towards the path that leads to righteousness and to help us stay on that path. It's to stay on that path. And after today's sermon, if you need to talk, if you need help, you, you want to talk with someone, I'm happy to talk with you. I'm to, happy to direct you to individuals that will talk with you. Uh, and, and if you're a, a lady here today and you're saying, I just want a wise woman to talk to you, we'll point you in that direction uh, as well. Ultimately, with all that being said, we want to help, not condemn. So with that said, turn with me to Proverbs chapter 5, where we pick up in verse 1. My son, be attentive to my wisdom, incline your ear to my understanding, that you may keep discretion and your lips may guard knowledge. For the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey and her speech is smoother than oil, but in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death, her steps follow the path to Sheol. She does not ponder the path of life. Her ways wander and she does not know it. And now, O sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Keep your way far from her and do not go near the door of her house. Lest you give your honor to others and your years to, to the merciless. Lest strangers take their fill of your strength and your labors go to the house of a foreigner. And at the end of your life, you groan when, when your flesh and body are consumed and you say, how I hated discipline and my heart despised reproof. I do not listen to the voice of my teachers or incline my, my ear to my instruct, instructors. I am the, the brink of utter ruin in the assembled congregation. Drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets? Let them be for yourself alone and not for, for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely dear, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Why should you be intoxicated, my son, with a forbidden woman and embrace the, the bosom of an adulteress? For a man's ways are before the eyes of the Lord, and he ponders all his paths. The iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. He dies for lack of discipline, and because of his great folly, he is led astray. Now we're going to stop there. And once again, we see as we have throughout all of the book of Proverbs, the father here is pleading with his son to be attentive to wisdom. And just like we saw last week, he wants his son to be attentive to wisdom so that his son will live. Not just so that he's going to have a happy marriage, not just so things will go well in his life, but he wants his son to live. So what we have within today's text, and really today's text, although we only read chapter 5, we're going to be covering all 5, 6, and 7. What we have within these texts are our two women. You have woman wisdom, and you have woman folly. Now, woman folly will be identified in chapter 9. And what the father wants for his son is he wants his son to be attentive to wisdom, to prize wisdom, to embrace wisdom. And to stay as far away from woman folly, the forbidden woman, as possible. Stay away from her. Which brings us to warning number one that we see kind of laid out through all three chapters. Don't be seduced by sexual sin. Don't be seduced by sexual sin. And let's be clear, we're, we're, not, we're, we're talking about sexual sin here. We're not talking about sex. There's nothing sinful about sex if it is enjoyed in the confines of a biblical marriage. That being one biological male, one biological female, committed, covenanted together with one another for life. But any sexual activity outside the confines of a biblical marriage, the Bible tells us, is sin. And any sexual activity is ultimately a form of adultery, whether you're married or not married. Any sexual sin is ultimately a form of adultery. And here's why I make that statement. Because the outcome of any sexual activity outside of marriage is bringing the image of another into the marriage bed where that image should never be. Whether that is coming through a previous sexual encounter, whether that is coming through pornography, a flirtatious relationship, a romance novel, a TV show, or, or a fantasy, or the list could continue. Anything that we do to bring the image of another into the marriage bed is in form of adultery. Yet saying any in all of that, Knowing all of the dangers that we could possibly know, we're all, regardless of our age and regardless of our gender, we are all prone to sin sexually. We are all prone to fall victim to the seduction of sinful, to sexual sin. There is none of us who are immune from this seduction. Why? Why? We look at Proverbs here, chapter 5, verse 3. Solomon tells us the lips of a forbidden woman drip honey. She's saying things that that taste good here. They're sweet. And her speech is smoother than oil. It sounds good. And then we flip over to chapter 7, verse 21. And we see with much seductive speech, she persuades. With her smooth talk, she compels. This sinful sexual seduction is saying, hey, it tastes good. It's gonna feel good. Come, take a bite, enjoy what's gonna hurt. It's only gonna bring you pleasure. And what we see is it's taking something God has designed for good. Something we were created to enjoy as married couples, something that we have a natural taste for and it's dangling before us to be enjoyed In ungodly ways. That's what the seduction is. And sure it feels good for a time. It wouldn't be tempting if it didn't. We may even find ways to justify it. To justify our sinful actions. But in the end we see in chapter 5 verse 4. She is bitter as wormwood. Now look that up. That means it was really, really, really bitter. (laughs) Sharp as a two-edged sword. And you know what she'll do with that sword? She'll kill you. Or at least it's warning number two. Sexual sin will destroy you. Sexual sin will destroy you. It seems inviting enough, right? It's sex. It seems inviting. Verse five. Her feet go down to death. Her steps follow the path to Sheol. Sheol. So forget the the earthly consequences for a moment. Look at where this path leads here. The path of sexual sin is the path that leads to Sheol. It's the path that leads to hell. So so yes, sexual sin has the potential to destroy marriages, to defile the, the, the wedding bed, to create separation where there should be no separation. But despite all of the earthly consequences of which there are many, if we continue in unrepentant sexual sin, it will lead us straight to hell. It's what we see in the text. So we have to ask the question. We have to ask ourselves, is this sexual sin that we are being tempted with, that is being dangled out before us, are these momentary moments of pleasure, are they worth us going to hell? Are they worth that? And before somebody says, well, that's probably pushing a little too far if we're saying that it will lead to hell. But here's why the text says that sexual sin will lead us to hell. Because there's no guarantee that if we enter into sexual sin, that we get on that path of sexual sin, the path of the wicked, there's no guarantee that once we get on that path, that we'll come off of that path. And if we don't come off of that path, if we don't repent, that path only leads in one direction. It leads to hell. Thus, the Father's warning, avoid it altogether. Avoid it. Stay away from it. Flee from it. Do not enter. Do not go down that path. But then what are we all prone to do instead? Each and every one of us, what are we prone to do? We're prone to see how close we can get to the fire without getting burned. It's the old question that I think every youth pastor has ever heard at any point in time. How far is too far, pastor? How far is too far with students being, wanting to say, well, how close to the fire can I get? How far can I go? How much can I do and still be okay? I say it's an old question because it's not, there's nothing new under the sun. It's not a new question. this generation didn't come up with it. Every generation's asked it. Just look at the question posed in chapter six, verse 27 in your text before you. Can a man carry fire next to his chest and his clothes not be burned? Or can one walk on hot coals and his feet not be scorched? What's the answer there, church? No. But then we will sit back and we'll say, well, um, uh, maybe if I do this, or maybe if this, or maybe we do all of these maybes. The answer is no. But that's the game that we're prone to play. Even while scripture tells us in chapter 6, verse 32, he who commits adultery lacks sense the the southern translation for that is he who commits adultery is stupid all right that, that it's stupid he who this is why because he who does it destroys himself destroys himself not even mentioning all the other consequences that it's going to have he destroys himself that that's what we see in the text and then we flip over to chapter 7 verse 22 All at once he follows her. He's being seduced and he begins to follow. It seems tempting, it seems inviting. He he follows her. How does he follow her? Here in verse 22 of chapter 7, as an ox that goes to slaughter. Following, seduced, blindly, just walking along and then what happens? Slaughtered, killed, never saw it coming. So with all these warnings that are before us, the, the father here in Proverbs warning, pleading with his son to listen to wisdom. The question that we have before us right now is how do we avoid the seduction of sexual sin? How do we who are here gathered here today, how do we avoid the seduction of sexual sin? Number one, treasure God's word. Treasure God's word. It's what we've seen throughout Proverbs already, the the call to be attentive to wisdom, to incline our ears to understanding, to heed the warnings found in the word of God, like like we see in chapter five, verse seven. Oh, sons, listen to me and do not depart from the words of my mouth. Don't depart. Verse eight, keep your ways far from her and do not go near the door of her house. What's the father telling his son? Don't go near the door of her house. What do we do? Can I hang out on the porch for a while? Can can I hang out? Can I play on the porch? Can Can I get as close to the door as I possibly can? No, don't go near the door. Stay away from the door. Don't go near the porch. Stay on the other side of the street. Get out of the neighborhood. Don't go near the door. Chapter six, verse 20. Keep your father's commandments and forsake not your mother's teaching bind them on your hearts, always tie them to your neck. He's taking us back to Deuteronomy chapter six. Parents be instructed to train up, teach them children, their children, everything that the Lord has commanded. Bind them, know them. Why? Verse 22, here in chapter six, when you walk, they will lead you. What will lead you? The word of God. It will lead you. When you lie down, they will watch over you. What will watch over you? The word of God. And when you wake, what will it do? They will, will talk with you. What will talk with you? The word of God. How? Verse 23. For the commandments, commandment is a lamp and a teaching, a light, and the reproofs of discipline are the way of life. You know what verse 23 just did? It just interpreted everything that came before it. It says, hey, here's what the commandment is. It's a lamp. Here's the teaching is, it's a light. And what it's doing here is saying, okay, God's word is to be a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path so that we may not be seduced by sexual sin, so that we may not go down the path that will lead us to Sheol. But so rather that the right path, the path of righteousness will be lit up like a runway and we're gonna know what direction we are to go and how we are to live so we can know the path of righteousness. So treasure God's word, keep the word of God, treasure the word of God, let it light up our path. Number two, treasure your spouse. Treasure your spouse or your future spouse. If you're not married, your future spouse. Again, this does not just apply to those who are currently married. To everyone who is not married in this room right now and may very well be one day or may never be married, this applies to you as well. You do not start treasuring your spouse when you get married. But long before you ever meet, long before you even know their name, it starts when you're young. It starts now, regardless of what the culture says. Sex in every capacity is reserved only for the confines of marriage, only for relationships where the husband and wife have committed to one another before God and fellow witnesses to love one another, and better for worse, and sickness and health to death do us part. And in those relationships, In in this biblically ordained union, sex is a beautiful thing. If you're married, scripture's saying rejoice in your spouse. Rejoice in your spouse. As chapter 515 says, drink water from your own cistern, flowing water from your own well. Not someone else's well, your own well. But, Drink from your well. Drink a lot from your well. Verse 16, should your springs be scattered abroad, streams of water in the streets, let them be for yourself alone and not for strangers with you. Let your fountain be blessed and rejoice in the wife of your youth. A lovely dear, a graceful doe. Let her breast fill you at all times with delight. Be intoxicated always in her love. Now, this is one passage. I'm going to let, we're going to read it. We're not going to necessarily exegete and break down every component of that passage. What I will say is, if you're married, yeah, do that, all right? Rejoice in, in her. Rejoice in him. Be delighted in one another. But what's the last part of that verse, that section? Be intoxicated always in her love. The New American Standard translates intoxicated as be exhilarated always in her love. I love that translation. That exhilaration here, it does not exist, nor the intoxication, it does not exist in just a physical act. That does not known through just a physical act. No, no, no. What that is, what this is talking about is love that is built on trust, commitment, faithfulness, intentionality, and care for one another. He or she knows that no matter what, no matter how bad things may be or no matter how worse things may be in the better for worse section, you're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere. You're there, you're committed. They, your spouse is the apple of your eye and they know it. They know it. You're thinking back to chapter four, verses eight and nine where he's said prize her, embrace her and only her and only him. And they know that. And it creates an intoxicating an exhilarating love that can only be known by husband and wife but like we we said earlier what, what adulterous activity does is it brings things to the marriage bed that were never intended to be there never intended to be there growing up I was a huge Garth Brooks fan and still I can find myself singing along to the songs of Garth Brooks one of his songs has a lyric in it that says I have rarely held another when I haven't seen her face think about that church I have rarely held another when I haven't seen her face. It's speaking of the first woman he was ever with sexually. It's a a horrifying line stating a horrifying reality. It's a reminder that the experiences we have and the images we see will be with us for the rest of our life. Young people in this room today, Whatever you do and whatever you see now is coming with you to the marriage bed. And it will create barriers where barriers were never meant to exist. The same applies for those who are already married. Anything causing another woman or another man's image to come into our mind to bring about pleasure that only our spouse is created to bring Anything that does that is to be fled from, avoided at all costs. Be intoxicated with your wife. Be exhilarated in your husband, not another. But the only way that that's possible, the only way that's possible is by treasuring Christ above all else. We look at number three treasure Christ think about the the union of marriage marriage designed by, by God is the most intimate of human relationships and God uses it throughout scripture to illustrate the relationship between Christ and his church which he refers to as his bride and as a dude I'm just gonna be honest that language can be a little weird at times like, guys don't typically like being referred to as a bride. But, to make it just a little weirder, look at Solomon's language in chapter 7, verse 4, where he calls his, he calls wisdom his sister. But when we get past our uncomfortableness, even our confusion, and we can begin to look at the context of what these passages really mean and the beauty that is contained from within... What he's communicating, what the Bible's communicating becomes clear. Because the book, in his book, the Song of Solomon, chapter 4, verse 9, he refers to his bride as his sister. Again, weird, but that's the language that he uses. And this is the point. She, his bride, is the one who captivates his heart. She is his treasure. Jesus' treasure. Just as the bride of Christ, the church is the treasure of Jesus. And if we're his bride, we are in Christ, then we're treasuring him also. We're remaining faithful to him also. Having eyes only for Christ also. That's if we're walking in wisdom. That's if we're walking in wisdom. But what does adultery do? It distorts the intimacy of marriage. It sets up barriers that were not supposed to be there. That's what's being conveyed in these chapters. But it's not just the distortion of the marriage relationship that we see taking place. It's so much bigger. It's not just the distortion of our horizontal relationships, but the distortions of one's relationship with God, which is our vertical relationship. And see, if our horizontal relationships are distorted by sexual sin, if our marriage is distorted by sexual sin, then as a result, our vertical relationship with God is also distorted. We cannot be active in participating in unrepentant sexual sin and at the same time be right in our relationship with God. We cannot. Allow yourself to be seduced by the forbidden, then what we have done is we've taken our eyes off of Jesus and we've placed them on another. It's an idolatry, which means we're not treasuring Christ. We're treasuring the pleasures of the forbidden instead. And so, what Proverbs is proclaiming is choose wisdom, not folly. Marry wisdom, not folly. Marry Jesus. Remain faithful to Jesus. Treasure Jesus and live. Go down the path of righteousness and live. Everything else, the other path is going to lead you to Sheol. It's the path of wickedness. Don't go there. Treasure your spouse. Treasure Christ. Treasure the Word of God. Live. At one point, that was going to be the end of my message. But it leaves us with too many questions still left. Because what do we do if we've already sinned sexually? Where, where, where do we stand? Where, what do I do? Do we just say, see you later? No. What, what, what do we do? Well, one, we understand there will be earthly consequences. I think we understand this. We know this. Whether the, the sexual sin is, was once upon a time, or maybe it's in the here and now, at the very present. Sexual sin always brings consequences. Whether it's public consequences or private consequences, or, or both Sexual sin always brings consequences. It could be things from your youth that will carry with you until you are much older and come surface when you don't even realize it. It could be the big public consequences that we see on the news today or or it could be years of, of faithfully walking with Christ that are destroyed in a matter of moments by an indiscretion, by a sexual sin. It could be a marriage collapsing. It could be trust that is shattering. It could be consequences that no one but you will ever know or experience. Either way, your sexual sin, our sexual sin, past or present, is going to create obstacles that you and your spouse or future spouse will have to work to overcome. Even if your your spouse forgives you, and we pray that that will be the case, they still have to learn to trust you. And it can be hard. And it could be painful. So again, I say all this, not to rip open old wounds or to create more pain, but one, to warn, don't go down this path. It only leads in one direction. Don't go down this path. And two, to bring some light to the severity of the depth of the consequences. God designed sexual intimacy to be exclusive to, to one woman and one man in the confines of a biblical marriage. And when any sexual intimacy takes place outside of a marriage relationship, before or during, it brings consequences. It will affect us and it will affect those that we love around us. So what, what do we do then? Facing the consequences, this is our reality, what do we do? Repent of your sin both to to God and to man. So if you are in sexual sin right now or have past unrepentant sexual sin, repent of your sin first to God and and then to your spouse. And this isn't just a I'm sorry I got caught or I, I feel guilty about what I did though guilt is a part of it. This is a heartfelt acknowledgement that I've sinned against you. I have I have violated our covenant. I have violated our our vows. I have violated and sinned against you. I've harmed our relationship. Send this both to God and, and to your spouse. And if you're not married, again, this applies to you as well. If you're not married, repent to God now. And understand that this is a conversation that you're going to have to have with your future spouse. You're going to have to have this before you get married to sit down and and share your sexual history and repent of, of adulterous acts that you committed before your marriage. And it's going to be a hard conversation to have for some. But it's a necessary conversation. And then part of that repentance, number three is to take every precaution possible to avoid future sexual sin. This is a sign of true repentance. This is a sign of walking in wisdom. We want to take every precaution possible to avoid future sexual sin. So there's not even a hint To be in our life, So if there's a potential of pornography use, then we're going to put up filters and we're going to put up blocks. We're going to do everything we can to prevent that from happening on our devices. If you've got a smartphone, that may mean you have to get a dumb phone. Whatever you have to do, you're setting up the barriers. You're setting policies and full transparency and accountability. Don't put yourself in tempting situations. Know where you're vulnerable. And if you don't know where you're vulnerable, ask someone you trust who is walking wisdom to help you in this area. This is a spot we can spend countless time, but one thing I want to make sure that we're not unintentionally communicating is that this is not just for men. This is both for men and women. We're not just talking about men here. I, I have seen women in previous churches who were irate When they found out that their husband was cheating on them, whether it was with pornography or other means, and rightfully so, they had every right to be irate and upset in those moments. But at the same time, they were going out and watching movies and reading books like Fifty Shades of Grey or Fifty Shades of Grey or Magic Mike or any of these other types of things. All that's still porn. It's still porn. Movies and books and TV shows like this and Netflix isn't helping us any with their mature ratings and all the stuff is being flooded into our content. Movies and books like this do nothing to increase your marital intimacy. They do everything to distort it. So take every precaution possible to avoid sexual sin. You don't see how close you can get to the fire without getting burned. Stay away from the porch altogether. Get away from the door. And then, lastly, most importantly, going hand in hand with everything we've just seen a part of this, number four, preach the gospel to yourself every day. Preach the gospel to yourself every day. See, repentance isn't just turning away from our sin, it's not less than turning away from our sin. There is no repentance of sin if we don't turn from our sin. But repentance isn't just turning from our sin. It's also turning to Christ in faith as our advocate, as our substitute. And if you've never done this, I want to invite you to today. I want to invite you to today. Yes, we grieve our sexual sin. Yes, we take every possible action to keep ourselves from sinning sexually again we definitely do not intentionally and unrepentantly remain in sexual sin. As Paul would say, by no means do that. Don't do that. But if we do sin, and if we are in Christ, we have an advocate. Jesus Christ the righteous. Jesus Christ the righteous who exchanged our sin and in this case, our sexual sin for his righteousness. Meaning if we believe in, we treasure this Christ, are trusting him as our only hope in life and in death, then we who are filthy have been declared righteous, declared right by holy God. So no matter church no matter how stained your sexual past is God now sees you just as if you'd never sinned. You have been justified declared right before holy God. Not by your works but by the blood of Christ. So stop condemning yourself. For there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. You are not that person anymore. You are no longer a slave to sin. But you are a child of God. Let's pray together. Lord, here we, we are intimately reminded of the depths of your grace. Your son became sin for us. And where we failed, he triumphed as our substitute. Therefore, Lord, we ask that you convict us of of sexual sin in our lives. Anything that would keep us from the pursuit of holiness, of becoming More like Jesus, Lord, help individuals and couples get the the help that they need to take the necessary steps to to safeguard their marriage beds from adultery. And, And let that start with an increased affection for you. Help us to set our eyes continually upon you. To continue to preach the gospel to ourselves each and every day rejoicing in the good news that we are no longer slaves to sin but sons and daughters of the King. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.